Hi, I'm Ani Filipova, the creator and host of the Change is Possible podcast. With the help of our guests, we will uncover practical advice, actionable tips and inspirational stories that can help you make your career change possible. Let's tune in. Hi everyone, this is episode 22 of the Change is Possible podcast and our last episode for this year. My guest today is Mark Ross. He is one of these forever curious and interesting people who had done many unexpected and non-traditional career changes. But let's start from the very beginning. He is one of 13 children. As a child and young adult, he was not even thinking about a career. He wanted to be an entrepreneur. He was always thinking about different ways to make money and how to come up with creative ideas. His very first job was a fifth grade teacher and he did that while he was in college. But let me stop here. Please tune in to hear the rest directly from Mark. Hi, Mark. I'm very happy to have you on my podcast. How are you this morning? Hello. I'm doing great. Well, take, let's dive in, right? Not, not waste any time. So tell us uh, something more about you before we start, where you grew up. What did you study? What was your dream job, etc.? Sure. Something people don't know about me. All right. I grew up in Queens and I am one of 13 children. And from all of my 12 siblings, when I graduated high school at that time, none of them went to college. They all graduated into these pre-teacher programs and then evolved into school teachers. So they didn't actually formally get degrees at the time which made me kind of an outcast. <laughs> And like when I talked to my parents, they loved to remind me that I was, I was a pretty big troublemaker as a kid. So they didn't exactly expect me to go down the route of going to college and becoming a professional, but that's what I did. There you go. And uh, you, were, you were kid number what? One, two, three, four, five? So I, I am seven. I have four older sisters and four younger sisters and two older brothers and two younger brothers. My goodness, what is it to be in such a big family? I've, I am just a family of two, really small, my family, a family of two, and I don't know a family with 13. Honestly, you're the first person. It's, it was amazing. It was a lot of fun growing up. Think, things are different. You don't get... It's fun. I actually didn't feel like I was attention deprived at all, but everything has to get split 13 ways. So it's different, but it was fun. It was like camp all year long. There's always fighting, but there's always playing. It's, it's a good experience. Tell me, what was your dream job? What were you dreaming when you were a, a child? As, as a child, I was always, it wasn't even thinking about a career. I was always an entrepreneur. Actually, I, one of my favorite stories to tell is in third grade. Obviously, being one of 13, we didn't have a ton of money in the family. So in third grade, we went on a field trip and all the parents gave their children $20 or $25 to spend because the dinner was roughly $10 or $15 and then some spending money. I got $5. So I took that and I went to the local grocery store with my mother and I bought a box of bazooka gums and it was 100 pieces of gum for $5. This was back in 1993. And then I took it to the field trip and there were approximately 10 different classes there playing baseball and I didn't play anything. I just walked around selling pieces of gum for a quarter a piece and I sold out. So by the end of the day, I'd made $25 from the five and 
that was a pretty cool feeling. That's that was just the way I was always wired. That was me. Just think, you know, as many ways as possible how to make money, how to come up with creative ideas. I never really thought about careers until much later in my life. I see. So what was your first job? How did you start the the journey of work? So it wasn't my first professional job and you won't actually find it on my LinkedIn profile or my resume, but When I was in college, I was approached by someone else who is in the same undergraduate program as me. And he said, hey, I teach in a private school and they're really struggling with fifth grade teachers. They, the way they did it was they, for fifth grade, they would have one general studies teacher who would cover math, English, science, all the subjects. Uh, and it was just the beginning of October and the first two teachers had already quit. So he told me, I know you were great with kids as a counselor in camp. Maybe you should try your hand at teaching. So I took that job and I held that position for four years, which was amazing because at that school, no fifth grade teacher lasted a year for over 19 years. I was the first one and I did it for four years straight. Wow. Or maybe because you grew up in such a big family and dealing with other kids was just like an everyday life, something that you did without thinking. And that's why you were so good. Education runs in my family, yeah. Everyone in my family taught at some point. Why did you go into banking? You went to, first, that's the first question, and then, then you went to Morgan Stanley, State Street, and then back to Morgan Stanley. Yeah, had you, had you asked me, even when I was teaching what banking means, I would have responded it means you're a teller taking people's money and depositing it in an account. Even as an adult, I had no idea what the stock market was or that investment banks exist. It's very far from my knowledge base. So I had no intention to go into banking. It happened because, well, okay, so naturally I was terrible at math. I always told people I, I hated mathematics. I was scared of it. And it's funny because being a fifth grade teacher actually got rid of all of that. So when in my undergraduate program, you had to take this math exam and they place you in a different tier of mathematics. There were four tiers and I actually failed all of them. I performed so poorly that they made me take a college algebra class, which was essentially fifth grade mathematics before coming to college because I was so bad. It was just terrible. But then that was the first year that I started teaching in this fifth grade classroom. And I realized I didn't know my times table. I didn't know how to add fractions. And by teaching fifth grade kids, I, I realized like my foundation was so weak that once I built a concrete foundation for myself, which was fifth grade mathematics. Suddenly I started doing really well in college. And eventually when I got into calculus, I got an A, calculus two, I got an A, calculus three, four, I got A's, probability, all the, and I started loving it so much that after three years of going for a degree in psychology and education, I completely pivoted and went for math. And then choosing an undergrad, I just fell to finance. And that's kind of how I ended up on that trajectory. I see. Wow, that's a fascinating story. Um, good that you discovered you're good in math because after that, your career is all based on what you learned in math, right? Yeah, so, pretty much. Pretty much, right? Tell me now about this transition. So as I said, you went first to Morgan Stanley and then you went to State Street and then back to Morgan Stanley. So how did you manage this and what helped you? Why did you do it? Sure. Yeah. So um, I went to, for my master's program, I went to Baruch's master's in financial engineering program. At the time, they had only a 4% acceptance rate. And I wasn't, 
I didn't consider myself very bright. So I didn't think I had a very high chance of getting in, but leveraging some pretty crazy networking techniques, I found myself being referred very strongly to the program, which got me an interview and I performed very well in interviews. So I managed to get into the program. And when I was in the program, I was just looking around at my classmates and I was thinking like, there is no way I can beat any of them in a job interview because these quant roles where financial engineers go are purely based on technical skills and technical reasoning. And they all just destroy me in this area. So I had to go for a job that was just very different. And I had the opportunity to join Morgan Stanley's risk IT team, which is a job that none of my classmates wanted. In fact, I remember when we went out for drinks after graduation, and there were a bunch of guys talking about their, their roles as associates. And I joined and I said something and their response was, oh, no, we're not talking about IT. That's not what this conversation's about. I was like, okay, like I just didn't belong there, right? Because I was so beneath them. It was a little rude, but whatever. <laughs> so, but it didn't matter. And, and it's funny because I actually had two job opportunities to join Morgan Stanley and Risk IT. And there was a, there was a finance startup which offered me a straight up sales position, which was my dream at the time to work in sales. And they offered me more money than Morgan Stanley. And after consulting with my dad and some other people I really trusted, I turned that down and went with Morgan Stanley, just trusting in my networking skills that I'd find my way, which worked out in the end. So being in Morgan Stanley, I risk IT, like the second I hit the desk, I knew, okay, this is not where I want to be in the end, but I'm going to be a good boy. I'm going to do a good job and I'm going to figure out my path. Uh, so I stayed for about six months. And after about six months, I went to my manager and I said, do you mind if I start reaching out to managing directors across Morgan Stanley? I'd love to learn more about the different business units. And he said, what's the end goal? I said, honestly, once I graduate, I'm not going to be on this team. Uh, risk IT is not where I belong. And he said, I agree with that. I said, I'm not looking to move now, but I'd love to learn more for now about the other roles in Morgan Stanley so that when I'm ready to move, I know what I want to do. And his response was so beautiful. He said, you can do it twice a week for a half an hour, meet with people, but you have to bring a notepad, take notes and tell me everything you learned. I thought it was just such a beautiful answer. And I like, I hope to use that when people ask me similar questions as a manager. So I did that. I did that for about a year and a half. I just met with I think I reached out to 81 managing directors and countless executive directors. And the crazy thing is most of them were willing to speak with me. I think just because so few people have the courage to ask them. In my email to them, I'd never asked for a job. I just said, my name is Mark Ross. I'm in the risk management division. I never said IT because that scares business people away. I'm in the risk management division. I'm about to graduate with a master's degree. And I'd love to learn more about your division, where you do Y and Z. So I met with a lot of them. Finally, after probably a year to year and a half, I met this fellow, Steve, and we started talking and I said, look, you know, uh, I'm meeting with you only because the head of the desk said I should meet with you, but I really want to talk with the sales team. You're the quant team. I'm not really a quant. I'm a financial engineer. Anyhow, by the end of our 15 minute chat, I decided I wanted to work on his team. I never wanted to be a quant, but he was just such a wonderful person. And he made the team sound so excited. So I said, what's it going to take for me to get on your team? And he said, I'll talk to the head of the desk. And he spoke with the head of the desk. And he came back to me and said, realistically, it's not going to happen. We'd love to have you, but 
you're an IT guy and we're a sales and trading desk. We really only look at people who have client-facing experience. So I told them, okay, it's not going to happen at Morgan Stanley. Then I'm going to leave and I'm going to get client-facing experience. And don't forget about me because I'm coming back to your team. He said, I think that's a very bad idea. You shouldn't leave such a great place like Morgan Stanley. I said, no problem, but I'm going to do it anyways. The very next day, or, or I think it was the next day or a day or two later, it was right after a recruiter called me, which happens a lot when you're pretty junior at such a big bank. And the recruiter said, hey, I'm calling about a position at State Street. It's in risk management. I said, not interested. I don't want to work in risk. Are you sure this is client-facing risk? I said, whoa, client-facing. How client-facing? And she said, well, you're actually just dealing with the clients because we're dealing with this dashboard called TrueView and the clients purchase it and you have to do analysis for them. I said, no problem. I'll take the job. She said, we haven't talked about any of the details. I said, I don't care. Get me an interview. <laughs> so she got me an interview. I had an interview a week later. Like I said, I'm a pretty good interviewer. I, it was one round. That's it. I met with the managing director. He really liked me. He introduced me to the manager on the spot. A day or two later, I got an offer and that's it. I, I switched straight away to State Street. I also got a pretty significant salary increase, which was, which was pretty cool, uh, especially since I bought a house right after moving. So I moved to State Street. Honestly, from all the roles I did, didn't love it that much. It, it was kind of boring, which is terrible when you're at work. My hours were less than Morgan Stanley, but I felt myself much more exhausted. And I, found, I figured that out about myself. If I do a job that I don't particularly love, it feels much, much longer. So every six months after joining State Street, I reached back out to this guy, Steve. Just email him, text him. Hey, Steve, you want to grab a coffee? And he always smiled, grabbed a coffee. I reminded him that I'm alive. That's it. A year and a half into my role at State Street, he reached out to me instead of the other way around. He said, hey, Mark, you still looking for a job? My associate just left. I said, Steve, I'll be there in 30 minutes. Threw on a tie, threw on a jacket. I ran out of work. And I showed back up. I interviewed on the spot with the head of sales, the head of trading, and the two co-heads of the desk. And they made me an offer. And I switched right away. I was on Steve's, dream, uh, Steve's team, which was my plan a year and a half ago. And the wild thing is, had I, had I transitioned internally, Morgan Stanley has a rule. If you switch teams, they're not allowed to change your base salary. But because I left the firm and got a 40% salary increase, and I came back, and when he made me that offer, I actually had a pending offer at a different bank, so they had to compete with that. So I got another 40% increase, which is wild. So I more than doubled my salary, where had he just taken me, my salary wouldn't have changed. So it was, it was amazing. It just worked out so well. Amazing. But uh, all involves taking risks, because you left a great institution to go into another and uh, you kept all the contacts, so that's important, right? The network, actually, the networking and keeping in touch with people while getting better at the one thing you wanted to get better at gives yeah. results at the end, right? While you were in the working in banking, and I guess this is quite intense, I know, actually, I don't guess because I'm working in banking, you were an adjunct professor in the university, in the college, how did you manage that? And why did you want to teach? To continue teaching, let me say. I love teaching. I, I, would, I would say when, when this is all done and I retire, I'm going to retire and become a teacher. I really enjoy passing on knowledge. It's so much fun, especially when the students want to learn. It's, it's an incredible thing. 
So it's a funny story. I graduated from Baruch's master's in financial engineering program. I think it was in the middle of, towards the, yeah, the middle of 2014. And the dean asks all the students for feedback on the program. And he said, Mark, what do you, what do you have to say about the program? I said, I love it. You're great at everything. The, inst- the instructors are fantastic. You're fantastic. Career services is amazing. There's just one thing I would improve. Uh, and he said, what is that? I said, well, from day one, you require us to write it, to solve our homeworks in code, but you don't teach programming. And that seems a little backwards to me. You know, Python, SQL, VBA, these are all required languages in finance, and you don't teach them. And they're not even requirements for the program. So that seems a little backwards. <laughs> and he said, actually, starting next year, we're going to be teaching those courses. And I said, really? Who's the instructor? He said, you are. I was like, whoa, <laughs> okay, it's a little unexpected. And, and I have to be honest, the first time I taught, I was not good. It was, it was so bad. I had like a very basic knowledge in coding, definitely not enough to teach really bright financial engineering students. I think I crashed pretty much my first few lectures, but I got better as the years went on. So in terms of like how I taught while working, as an adjunct professor, you really don't have to work that many hours. I only taught one or two classes and primarily in the summer and the ones that I did during the year also, I would either stick to Sundays or do once a week at night. So it would just be one exhausting day because I did start work at 6.30 in the morning. So I would be at the desk 6.30. I'd leave a little early at 4.30 or 5, go teach for two hours and then go home. But that was great that you were um, actually teaching coding. And as you said before, you get better at it because because it seems when you teach, you learn quite a lot, right? So now from teaching, I guess the love of teaching made you start career advising business, right? So I developed Script Uni, which are coding courses, Python, VBA, and SQL, and Baruch College certifies those courses. And when students were graduating from those courses, they would then ask me, all right, Mark, how do I put this on my resume? And how should I talk about these during interviews? So at first I was getting on calls with the graduating students of the program and just having one-on-one calls with them. But then I started throwing it as an add-on. You know, after you graduate from the class, we could spend an hour together and I can show you how to best display these courses on your resume, talk about them during the interview. And one time I was helping a student with it and he said, forget this. Can, can you just be a career coach for me? What does that mean? He said, let's meet twice a week. And he offered me like a, a lot per hour. I was like, whoa, is, is this a thing? So we started meeting and he did really well. His target at the time was to get into a target financial engineering program. We met, I think, just six times and he got into his target program. He was thrilled. I was thrilled. So then I threw up a little tab on Script Uni career coaching where people could sign up for coaching and it just started exploding. It was doing really well. For the first few years, every single person that I coached got a job or got into the master's program of choice. It wasn't like, oh, 70%, it was 100% success rate for the first like 25 clients I had, which was wild. So I started increasing my offerings. At, one, at some point, I scaled back and I had very targeted packages, which I have now. Um, I don't like the hourly coaching thing because to me, that's not very defined. I like saying, I will help you with this. And that way I can know that I succeeded and you can know that you got your money's worth from me rather than some arbitrary amount of hours that we worked together. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Is it because this business 
which was like a side one, uh, got successful, you left banking. How did you decide to leave banking? Yeah, it was growing too much. And, you know, Morgan Stanley was pretty tolerant of my posts on LinkedIn, although they didn't love it. But that combined with the coaching is not something a company needs because there's too much conflict of interest and too much noise around it. They didn't explicitly tell me that I had to leave or anything. I mean, I just got promoted to, v- to VP. They really liked me. I really liked them. And I have to say, like, if I had to go back to corporate work, I'd go right back to the same team. I loved everything about it. But I left on my own. I decided I had to scale back corporate work and, and focus more on developing my side business. You share that you have a family and, and four kids. And that's a lot of responsibility. And you did all these changes, right? How did you manage financially? And I'm asking this question because, because many people think that if you have a family and kids, that's it. You have to stay put because you cannot take any risks. But there you are. You took risks and you're thriving. So can you share with um, people who are in the same situation? How did you do it? What should they plan? What was your financial discipline, so to say, budgeting, planning, etc.? So you can sustain the family, the business, and succeed. Absolutely. So first of all, just to clarify a few things, I wouldn't say I'm thriving. I'm, I'm not massively wealthy. I do still need to you know, earn a salary, which is why I do work during the day in a technology startup. But I would say all the risks I've taken were very calculated risks. I'm in a wonderful relationship where I, when I met my wife now 16 years ago, and we talked about how we were going to handle this, she wanted to be one of those mothers that did not worry about finances, but just really cared for the kids. And that's exactly what I wanted in a partner. So I carried the entire financial burden alone, which is, it's scary. So making a decision like leaving Morgan Stanley is, is an absolutely terrifying one. And if you look throughout my career, every risk I did had a backup plan. When I left Morgan Stanley, I went to numerics and I did sales. So the hours scaled back a lot and I had a lot more freedom to say and do what I wanted on social media, but I still had a full-time job, which is a consistent theme through everything I've done and every risk I've taken. Now I have a new website going live, a book coming out, courses online, but I still work on a technology company during the day. So I always hedge my bets. And I know there's this wonderful thing, you know, everyone talks online, entrepreneurship is amazing. No, you should not be a flat out entrepreneur if you, have, if you want to raise a family, unless you are certain that it's going to be successful because the, you are responsible for people's lives. And Yeah, well, you don't need to be hugely rich, you know, it just, you do things that you like to do. That's it. That's important, right? At the end of the day, people change and pivot because they want, not because they want to stop work, but because they want to do more of what they like rather than, you know, stay in one job, which doesn't give them any, any pleasure or joy. You mentioned the book. So how did you decide to write the book? And let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. What is it about? Who is it helping and with what? Yeah. So actually, I'm going to talk about a different book first. (laughs) From... 2015 through 2019, as I was working in corporate America, on the train to work, I was writing a book on resume crafting. Because I believe in finance and technology, pretty much everyone writes resumes wrong. They think about what they've done with their life. They put that all on a piece of paper and they submit it for a role that doesn't match 
all that. So I spent a lot of time on myself with resume coaches, figuring out a completely new way of writing resumes. And it helps my clients. Like It's very obvious how well it helps them. In fact, when I talk to my coaching clients, I tell them, I can't guarantee you a job, but I guarantee you that after we're finished the resume, you're going to get more interviews. And I've never been wrong about that. So I wrote a book on resume crafting for finance and technology, and I was about to publish it. And then I realized, you know, first of all, I'm not a noted author. Also, I didn't have a ton of followers at the time, and I didn't have much of a reputation in finance. So I said, I'm going to put this on hold, and I'm going to write a book that establishes me as an author of finance first, and then I'm going to come back and publish this one. And I didn't know exactly what I was going to write at the time, but then I started working at Numerics. And I was on these sales calls, and there were so many terms being thrown around that I just didn't know. So I made this plan for myself where I was going to learn one new financial term a day. And as I was doing that, I thought, you know what, this would be really nice to put on LinkedIn to help people with. So aside from learning one new term a day, I shared knowledge of one term a day. I called the financial jargons. They've amassed millions of views on LinkedIn. And every day I would post a different jargon and people just loved it. Whenever I would stop or take a break, I'd get my inbox would be flooded by why did you stop? So once that started taking off, I said, all right, I've got to, I got to write this in a book. So I started organizing the jargons. It went from a hundred definitions, which I posted on LinkedIn to now officially 200 in the book, but really it's more like a thousand because each definition, well, more like 500 because each definition has sub definitions in it. So the point of the book, it's Mark's Guide to Sales and Trading, and everybody, the cover artist and the, the people who are helping me with the typesetting, they all ask me, who's your competitor? Show us a book that's a competitor. And there are none. I can't find one because it's such an odd book. It teaches about different asset classes. It teaches about bonds, stocks, options. It teaches about finance, the whole financial world, what goes on in banking, the different divisions in banking, the different roles within banking. And then finally, it comes together with how to land a job in banking. So it's kind of like a complete guide, but at the same time, just a primer to finance. People who have no background whatsoever, That's who, it's really targeted to people who are really interested in finance, whether it's learning about stock trading, whether it's landing a job in finance and they're just not comfortable having conversations with traders because they're scared of the terminology that's going to be thrown around. It's a very easy to read and lightweight book that kind of covers everything in entry-level finance. Great. When it is published? The target release date is December 19th. Oh, wow. And uh, where are you going to sell it? Amazon.com. What are you doing today? If, if people who are listening want to connect with you and uh, use your services, what, where should they find you? MarkRoss.com would be a good place to start. Right, right now, the website's undergoing renovations, but the second the book, the book is released, MarkRoss.com is going to have a free cover letter course on there, as well as point people to the book on Amazon. So that's a great place to go. And of course, uh, on LinkedIn, I post career advice every day. So LinkedIn or MarkRoss.com. Great. All right, and um, let's finish the podcast with um, you sharing your top three advice, takeaways, whatever you want to call it, for people who want to do a career pivot, want to change and want to do things that they like with people they like. What, from your experience, what are the top three things they should know and learn? Sure. So my top three 
advices. Well, I won't say three because I don't actually have three in mind right now, but I'll go with it. My top advice for people looking to change careers would be, first of all, know exactly where you want to go. And this is true for anything you do in your career, even creating a resume. If you know exactly what your end goal is, it makes getting there so much easier. If I didn't know that I wanted to move to the sales and trading desk at Morgan Stanley, that move to State Street would have been foolish. So it's only because I knew exactly where I wanted to go that making the transition, the whole transition made sense. The second thing would be network. It's very easy to think that networking just means reaching out to people and handing them your resume and asking for a job. That is not networking at all. You should always be meeting new people. And throughout my career, I've had a goal of meeting two new people a week, and that's never changed. I've met thousands of people over the past decade just because of this rule. And I have such a massive network of people who I can call on a, on a win, just call them and ask advice or ask for help. So building a strong network, especially in the area that you're interested in, definitely a strong thing to do. And the final thing I would say is make sure you have the skills for your end goal. Wherever you're planning on moving, building up skills, it doesn't have to be directly related to the job you're doing now. Slowly build up skills so that when you make that final transition, you're a perfect fit for that role. It doesn't have to match your current experience or what you've done. But as long as you have the skills relevant for that target goal, it should be totally conceivable to move into it. Thank you, Mark. It was a great podcast. I really enjoyed listening to you. I'll buy the book. I'm very, very curious. Are you going to add the, the piece about the CVs, how to make a CV? There is a little bit of it. Uh, it's not the entire resume book because the CV book is about 25,000 words. <laughs> so that wouldn't fit at the end. But there's a little blurb about it. Great. So all the best with the, with the book. Uh, and thank you very much for being my guest today. Thanks for hosting. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. Please remember to review, rate, and subscribe when you have a chance. You can do that on your favorite podcast platform or go to our site, changeispossible.site. Thank you once again and have a great day.